Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our telephone town hall to talk about Budget 2023. We are getting started here shortly. My name is Rebecca Schultz, Alberta's Municipal Affairs Minister, and I'll be the moderator for this evening's discussion. I'm honoured to be joined by Premier Danielle Smith, as well as President of Treasury Board and Minister of Finance, Travis Taves. Both the Premier and Minister Taves will be your hosts tonight at this live and interactive telephone town hall discussion about the provincial budget, which was released just yesterday. Premier and Minister Taves, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Oh, it's my turn. Sorry, I'm a little bit rusty. This is uh, Premier Danielle Smith. I'm just delighted to be here with my colleagues. Uh, of course, the Honourable Rebecca Schultz, who's our Municipal Affairs Minister, as well as uh, Travis Taves, our Finance Minister uh, and uh, Treasury Board President. And I must tell you, he probably has more relief than anyone that uh, budget was released yesterday. He's been working so hard over the last several months to just get the, the right balance. I'm looking forward to being able to talk to you a little bit more about it. I'm just pleased to be here because I think this budget really does the, the right balance and it shows how committed we are to fiscal conservative principles, but also making sure that we support every single Albertan family and business. Absolutely, Premier. Uh, this is Travis Taves, uh, and I just want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Uh, we're really looking forward to a great conversation. Uh, Budget 23 really builds on uh, our, the foundation that uh, we've been working on since 2019, that foundation of bringing fiscal responsibility to the province, the foundation of positioning Alberta's economy for competitiveness, which results in investment attraction, job creation, expanded fiscal capacity and ultimately greater government revenues. And we're seeing that right now uh, in Budget 23. But we're also, because of our fiscal responsibility, because of the growth in the economy, it allows us to step out and ensure that we're making key and necessary investments in healthcare, in education and public safety. And Budget 23 accomplishes those goals. So just pleased to be here tonight and pleased to work with the Premier and my colleague, uh, Minister Schultz. Yes, so whether you are joining us by phone or online, your participation in tonight's town hall is much appreciated. So when you have a question you'd like to ask, please press star three on your keypad and you will be transferred to a live agent who will provide further instructions. Again, that is star three. We will try to get to as many questions this evening as possible. For those of you listening through the online live stream, you can type your question into the dialog box and we'll do our best to answer those questions as well. Before we get to the question and answer portion of tonight's call, let's just take a moment to set the stage and talk about what Budget 2023 means for Alberta and all Albertans. Premier, why don't you start us off and let the callers know what you're hoping to hear from them tonight. Fantastic. Well, yesterday in the Alberta legislature, we tabled Budget 2023, and it is a good news budget. It secures the future of Alberta, sets the stage for our province to remain Canada's economic engine for years to come. Our budget grows the economy, it creates good-paying jobs, it strengthens our health care system and the education system for our kids and our families, keeps our homes and streets safe with investments in public security, and importantly, what is be becoming known as the Alberta model, 
which is a recovery-oriented system of care for mental health and addiction services. And it also addresses the, the stresses that a lot of families face on affordability. Uh, so tonight, Minister Taves and I want to hear what you think of Budget 2023, how it supports your priorities, how it meets your needs. We've had many conversations with you over the last number of months, and I, sh I sure hope that Budget 2023 provides you the support and the helping hand as we get through this inflation crisis together. What, one of the things that I, I know we needed to do in this budget is that we've been, as a province, running deficits since 2008. And it was last year was a, the first year that we ended up being in surplus, so, but we had 14 years where we had deficits. And I, what we heard was that people wanted us to be cautious, that it is, uh, we're, I think we're all delighted that we're seeing this great turnaround, but people want to make sure that we're going to be budgeting in a way that is sustainable. So a, a few of the things that I was so pleased to see is that we look at inflation plus population growth as a measure for year-over-year -year increases. We stayed below that. We uh, also, the, 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 um, the finance minister and the cabinet, I think, have done a wonderful job over the last number of years of making sure that we bring our program spending in alignment with the other big provinces, BC, Ontario, and Quebec. And that's, that's going to be really important for us to maintain the sustainability of our programs in the long run. Um, I think also having a debt repayment strategy is something that, uh, that people wanted us to see. I think a lot of people were very proud of the days that we were debt-free. It would be nice for us to get back there again, as well as the savings strategy and shoring up what we have in our Heritage Savings Trust Fund and making sure that we're managing our surpluses each year in a way that uh, addresses the priority. So I was pleased to see within that framework we are going to be able to use the budget strength that was developed over the last number of years to support everyone. And that includes uh, not only our seniors and most vulnerable in our communities, it's uh, to get the strengthening of the healthcare system so that you get the care you need. We've done a lot of work on healthcare to ensure that we can get more surgeries, more ambulances on the road, more nurses and doctors and paramedics at your side. We're making a record investment in kindergarten through grade 12 education so that school authorities can hire more teachers, reduce class sizes, hire more education assistants, and importantly, give every student the support they need to succeed. Uh, I'm, I'm, as a caucus and as a cabinet, we're very worried about learning loss that kids have experienced over the last couple of years and some of the mental health concerns that we've had, and we've done significant investments in both of those to make sure that our kids keep caught up. We're investing in your safety, keeping families and communities safe, providing grants to communities that want to explore their own police force, but in, as well, you've probably seen in Calgary and Edmonton that we are increasing the role of sheriffs to assist in helping with public disorder at the same time as increasing access to recovery-oriented mental health and addiction treatment supports in recovery communities across Alberta. The first one was opened up in Red Deer, but we have 10 others that are going to be rolled out across the, the, the province. And then they will be on the street with outreach teams and community policing hubs um, in our jails, in our correctional facilities, so that we can get people connected with addiction and mental health treatment so that they can get on the road to recovery. Um, and we're going to keep on growing uh, as an economy. The uh, number of businesses that are still looking at us as a destination point, the number of jobs that have been created, the Alberta is calling campaign is working. People are coming here. They're looking for jobs. They're looking for opportunity. We've got investment not only in the film industry, but our oil and gas sector, as well as the technology sector, the agri-food sector. So things are, are really looking up. I know it's been a, a tough number of years as we've gone through not only the, uh, the pandemic crisis, but prior to that, 
the decline in oil and gas revenues, but I, I think that what you've seen is a, a pretty remarkable turnaround in the in the last couple of years, and I, I credit it to uh, the person who de- delivered this budget yesterday, our finance minister and treasury board president, uh, Travis Taves. So uh, thanks. Look forward to hearing from you all. I'll hand it back over to uh, Minister Schultz. Well, thank you very much, Premier. So we are going to get to your questions. Just remember, if you want uh, to ask a question, uh, please press star three on your keypad and you will receive further instructions from there. So our first caller tonight is Jennifer. Jennifer's from Chestermere. Jennifer, you are live. Hi. Hi, Jennifer, we can hear you. You're good. All right, I guess my question is, um, with this new um, federal funding that we receive for healthcare, I know there's a lot of people that are really anxious about um, signing on to the federal requirement of sharing um, health records with the, the federal government. So the digital ID is that was that tied to this this funding that we received? Absolutely not. We made it very clear, as did the Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe, that we would never accept any deal that required us to hand over your private health information. It's not allowed under our our Health Information Act. Your private information is yours. What um, the uh, the federal government has asked for us to do is work with them on a few of their key priorities, like expanding primary care, which we want to do, improving access to mental health and addiction, particularly for youth, which we which we already uh, were on the path of doing, expanding out home care and continuing care supports, which we know is going to be the future model. Most people want to age in place in their own homes, um, as well as... Uh, um, making sure that we're doing a, uh, an effective recruitment strategy. And I, I think you've heard about that all over the, the country, that we need more nurses, more doctors, more paramedics, not only training more, but also attracting more from around the world. So, so be, be, uh, do, uh, do have some comfort that uh, we are going to make sure we protect your private health information. But we felt that $518 million additional dollars coming into our system was going to allow us to accelerate all of those things. And we wanted to put Albertans' needs first on that. That's why we signed on to it. Great question. Thank you so much. Now, our next question is from Ben from Airdrie. Now, this one came in online, so I'm going to read that uh, for Ben. Ben's question is, there isn't a lot in the budget to help small business. Why didn't you reduce the small business tax? Sure. Well, uh, Ben, I'll work to answer that. A couple of things. Uh, In our affordability package, there is... uh, fuel tax suspension relief, and of course that applies to every business, every individual or business, every municipality, every school board that fills up a vehicle at the pumps benefits from the suspension of the fuel tax, and on an annualized basis, that's $1.3 billion. So um, I I know that I've had a number of small business owners come and uh, suggest it's made a really big impact on their bottom line. Of course, if those businesses are, you know, a trucking business or um, you, you know, some type of business where there's a lot of uh, fuel use, then it's a really big deal. Of course, the energy rebates also apply to small businesses, and there has been some relief there. The total uh, cost of the energy rebates, the total investment into uh, Alberta households and small businesses over uh, the, fiscal, the two fiscal years is about a billion dollars, so it's very significant. But Ben, as a small business owner myself, this has been my observation in the Alberta, Alberta economy. Small businesses play 
such a key role in our communities. They not only uh, massively contribute to the economy, but they play such uh, a role in the fabric uh, uh, of our communities right across the province. You know, my observation has been when Alberta's an investment attraction hub, when projects are going forward, when the energy industry is going forward, when uh, agriculture is moving forward, small businesses in the region benefit, whether you're in the restaurant business, whether you've got a mechanic shop, whether you've got a trucking business, oil field service company. Uh, what we really need to see to help small businesses, in my opinion, is to continue to position Alberta's economy for investment attraction. And Ben, that's happening. We're leading the nation right now in economic growth. We're projected to lead the nation next year in economic growth. And diversification is taking place in our economy at rates I've not seen in my lifetime. The Premier talked about financial services, the tax sector. Uh, we can add to that uh, film and television, manufacturing. Ben, de Havilland Air is moving their water bomber manufacturing plant uh, just outside of Calgary. Uh, they chose Alberta instead of subsidized Quebec because of our incredibly um, incredible uh, business value proposition. So long answer, Ben, but we're doing all we can to create opportunities for small businesses. Now, you know what? Every year we consider our tax rates, and you, uh, what I'm hearing is a request to consider, perhaps for next budget, a reduction in the, the small business corporate tax rate, which for those listening is 2% in Alberta. I'll t we'll take that as uh, an intervention, but Ben, on the tax side, I just have to say this, that, you know, Albertans are going to have an important choice to make in May, and we heard from uh, the leader of the opposition, uh, Rachel Notley, here in the last two days, criticizing this budget, that she would raise corporate taxes in this province if she's elected. We know what that would do to investment. We know what that would do to the bottom lines of small business owners. Alberta cannot afford an NDP government. Full stop. Now, lastly, we're intent on keeping Alberta's tax structure low. We have the lowest corporate tax rates in Canada, some of the lowest personal tax rates in the nation. We don't have a sales tax. We don't have a payroll tax. We don't have a capital tax. We don't have a land transfer tax. If Alberta had the tax structure of the next lowest tax province in the country, as the Minister of Finance, I would be collecting $20 billion more from Albertans. We have to maintain our low-cost tax advantage. Thank you very much, Minister Taves. Now, the next question is from Matthew. Matthew is from Calgary, and you are live. Go ahead. Hello. I was just, uh, I heard there was a, a large... Uh, um, surplus in the budget. And I was just wondering if there's any uh, kind of ear neck for uh, the health care system as it sounds like it's a uh, long wait times. And uh, we, we attended Jason Copeland's open house, my son and I, and he just talked more about privatizing a lot of the services and uh, it's kind of concerning. Well, thanks for the, the question, Matthew. And I, I think part of the thing that we, we want to do is we want to try to find new ways of delivering health care. We've been trying to do things the same old way for 15 years, and wait lists got longer, and the uh, performance of the system getting people efficiently 
dropped off at the hospital, seen by a triage nurse, and either treated and released or admitted, kept growing longer and longer. So we, we felt like we needed to do some innovation. And that's part of the reason why we have allowed for chartered surgical centers. And I, I can tell you that no one pays out of pocket when they get a treatment at, at one of those private centers. It's integrated into our system. There's no queue jumping. Everybody makes sure that they get their turn on the basis of, uh, of their need and the acuity. And I, I can tell you, it's about 20% of the surgeries that we're now able to do in those private centers. And we can do 300,000 surgeries a year. So I, I can't imagine that we'd be better off if we ended up reducing 60,000 surgeries a year. So that's part of the reason why we've made the investment that we have is to just use some innovators and, and see if there's some better ways that, that we can deliver the service so that we can get more surgeries done. Uh, overall, the, the healthcare budget was increased significantly in part because we were already intending to increase the overall budget, but also because the federal government is assisting us with that $518 million more. And one of the transformations that you're, you're going to see is in our approach to home care and continuing care. We learned a, a, a big lesson during the, the pandemic that the, the, really the safest place for our aging seniors and the place they want to be is in their own home supported by home care. And there's a, a model that our, our health minister, Jason Copping, has, has seen in Denmark where they have, have done a major investment in ensuring that we have good home care, good continuing care, and good primary care as a way of taking pressure off the hospital system. So that's the kind of, of model that we're moving towards so that we can make sure that we manage the pressure coming into the hospitals now, but also are able to do some transformation. We, we can't spend all the surplus on, um, on fixing healthcare because uh, part of the, the, uh, the issue that we have with the surplus is as much of it is because of windfall revenues from oil and gas. And we know that if we get on ourselves on a roller coaster where we're spending every penny of that resource revenue that we're and not saving as, uh, and, and, and paying down debt, then if it ever declines, we're going to be in a difficult position in trying to maintain the services and the healthcare. So we're going to increase it, but we're going to do it prudently. We're going to do it in a line with the other big provinces. But, and I think you'll see that uh, we're prepared to be a bit, very generous in that area because we know how much it matters to people. I don't know, Minister Taves, if you want to add to that. Uh, Premier, there's not much to add. We will be increasing health care's funding by just over 4% this year, which is a material increase, obviously the highest, highest health care budget in the history of the province. But, you know, further to the Premier's point, when it comes to delivering health care, we have to find innovative ways to do it. To simply shovel more money into a system that needs fundamental reform is disrespectful to, for taxpayers and will result in a failed system. So I think you've just heard the Premier say she's committed to an innovative approach to health care to ensure that we're getting the best bang for the buck and to ensure that we have the best health care system possible within a publicly funded health care system. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, I can speak to this. If, if this budget is passed, I think it was last week, I was just at a primary care network in South Calgary with Minister Copping also talking about the investments in primary care and supporting that model where we have medical teams to help folks uh, make sure that they can access a family physician, um, increasing the amount of family 
physicians that we have uh, and investing in technology to support virtual care, right? There are innovative things we can do in our healthcare system. And so uh, it's not always just about the dollars, but finding innovative ways of meeting patients' needs across the province. Just a reminder for any of you who have a question to press star three uh, to get your name in the queue. Our next question is from Ashley. Ashley is also from Calgary, and I'm gonna read this one out for her. I'm a single woman, no kids, with a minimum wage job. Why aren't you helping me with affordability? You know, I'll, I'll just uh, reiterate what the Minister Taves said. One of the things <clears throat> that I think is so substantial that we have here is the, the, the support we were able to give people on energy costs, electricity, home heating, and also the cost of gasoline and diesel. And when you look across the country, we, um, we, we pay on average about $1.25 per litre for, for gasoline, whereas in British Columbia, it's $1.75. Um, imagine every time you fill up having to do that at a cost of 50 cents more per liter. Or even if you're taking a, a public transit and they're filling up, they're filling up for 50 cents more per liter in British Columbia. Anytime any truck is delivering anything that you need to pick up at a grocery store or a retail store, all of those costs go into the cost of everything that you purchase. And that's why it was so important for us to make sure that those were our priority because if we can lower those, those costs, we can lower inflation across the entire economy. And I was pleased to see an economist, Trevor Toome, has said that since July, those measures have, have been working to counteract the inflation crisis created at the federal level. And so that, that's the reason why we needed to prioritize. We had to make some of those, uh, those hard choices. And so we, we, we decided to, that that was the best way to be able to help as many people as possible. Thank you very much. Now, our next question is from Rick. Rick is also from Calgary. Rick, you're live, so please go ahead. Uh, good evening, Danielle. How are you today? I'm good. Nice to hear from you, Rick. What's up? Number one, I just wanted to say thank you very much for caring for the peoples of Alberta. And we went through so much of the notly where the people had to stimulate her ego. And it's just so refreshing finding a person who really talks from the heart and wants to help the Albertans out. Well, thanks for that, Rick. You know, part of it was when I when I went door knocking down in Brooks Medicine Hat, you, you knock on some of the doors. I was in Redcliffe, which is a, a middle-class neighborhood, and every time you talk to a senior, they expressed grave concern about the cost of groceries and the cost of pharmaceuticals. Uh, when you talk to families with teenagers, and, you know, they have their kids going out to activities, and everything that they do just costs more money, and the grocery bills cost more. So we knew that because we did have a significant surplus, we had to target that support to those who were most in need. So our seniors, we get, we're giving $100 <clears throat> per month, same with every child, uh, as well as those who were on the disability payments. We've got a lot of people on assured income for the severely handicapped, Alberta Seniors Benefit, and other disability support programs. And so we know it's particularly hard to get through these winter months. So um, it, it, we, hear those, we hear those comments every day, and we, and we know that we have to make sure that we're helping people out. Now, did you have a question about infrastructure? Yeah, it had it had to do with infrastructure and that the roads of Alberta are kind of falling apart here. And it would be really, really nice if instead of sending so much to all the other provinces, which we've helped out so many times, that this time we do whatever we can to really, really put it into the infrastructure of reshaping our bridges, our roads, 
and doing whatever we can to make it a nice streamlined system for all of us from for the province of Alberta. Rick, I couldn't agree more. It's Travis here. Uh, we have a lot of really good infrastructure in the province. We have ro a road network, a transportation system that's elaborate that we have to maintain. And uh, I, I think what I'm hearing from you is we need to make the necessary investments to maintain that in infrastructure and build on it. You know, that certainly aligns with our observation over the last three years. We've had to make some tough fiscal decisions, uh, given the fact that we inherited a government that was spending $10 billion more than uh, other uh, large provinces across the country. And um, so, so we, we delivered what I would say is a very, was a very efficient capital maintenance and renewal program, um, transportation uh, repair, pothole repair, highway resurfacing program in 2020, 2021. But already in budget 2022, we recognized that we were going to have to start making additional uh, investments to maintain this infrastructure. We've built on that in budget 23. Right now, our capital maintenance and renewal budget, this, these are funds that are used to maintain and materially improve existing infrastructure, is $1.4 billion for the upcoming year. That's an increase uh, over uh, t uh, budget 22 of well over $200 million. Most of that's going into transportation. Most of that's going to be reflected in improving and maintaining our highway network. Appreciate your question. Uh, fully agree with your, with your assertion. Thank you very much. Now our next question is from Mary. Uh, Mary is from Lethbridge, and I'm going to read this one out loud for her. Why is there so much focus on paying down the debt? I would rather give that money to Albertans now. I, I have a feeling you're both going to have something to say on this one. I, I think one of the, the main things is I, I watched, I'm, I'm sure, with horror, along with a lot of other Albertans, as we went from being debt-free to almost being at $100 billion worth of debt. And, and the problem with debt is the interest charges that, that, that you have to end up shouldering to carry all of that debt. Now, we are so fortunate because we have a good credit rating, and so we're able to, have, to carry debt at a much lower rate. But the fact that we made such a large debt repayment, it increased our credit rating, which also makes it a lot more affordable for us to carry the rest of it. We've got, I think, in, if you look at the budget, almost $3 billion worth of interest charges. And I think what I would like to see is as we whittle that down, that makes room for tax cuts. So an earlier caller asked about what about a small business tax cut? Well, as we pay off the debt and we free up money from interest charges, we can afford to reduce or eliminate the small business tax. We can afford to reduce our uh, personal income taxes. So I, I think in, in some ways we, 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 we know that we can't on, keep on borrowing forever. Um, there, there are lots of economists out there that will tell you that when times are lean, you have to borrow. But when times are good, you've got to pay it back. And so I, I think that the finance minister has a really good balance in what he's proposed. Sure, Premier. Uh, I, not a lot to add to that. But we're going into a time right now where interest rates are going up. The cost of capital for the government of Alberta ha is going up significantly, not because we're a credit risk, because our credit risk is dropping right now. We've received our second credit upgrade um, here this year and prior to this year we didn't have a credit upgrade in Alberta since 2001. So for that reason our credit risk is going down and that's actually bringing down our 
interest rates that we pay on debt relative to what it would have otherwise been. But here's the reality. Interest rates generally are going up. And if we're going to have to, if we're going to keep borrowing at, you know, high volumes, that's simply the debt service cost will come out of program spending. And as the Premier noted, will result, have to result in higher taxes at some point. You know, this last year we paid down $13.4 billion of debt, all the debt that matured during the year. You know what that does to our debt service costs? It dropped them in 22-23 by $260 million. In 23-24, the upcoming year, it drops them by $560 million. And every year thereafter, it's a massive investment into the fiscal health of the province and the fiscal health for all Albertans. Uh, the other thing I would like to note, Mary, in the spring of 2020, when COVID uh, was rampaging around the globe, the global economy experienced a, a really big economic shock. We, we had the largest contraction in the global economy really since the Great Depression for a period of time. Energy prices crashed to zero. In fact, went into negative for one day, but hung around at $10 for far too long. And at the same time, there were additional demands on the province's resources as we were supporting Albertans and supporting our healthcare system. Here, here was the scary part. During that time, capital markets froze globally. And Alberta, like every other province and subnational government, we were unable to go to capital markets and borrow for several weeks. That was a scary time because we were going to run out of cash to operate. And during that time, it became very clear to me that when we have an opportunity as a province, we need to create fiscal room. The best way to create fiscal room so we could deal with another shock like that if we experienced it would be to have our debt paid down. So there's some real reasons why debt repayment right now should be a priority. And I know we're aligned with that as a government. It will, in the short, intermediate, and long term, benefit Albertans. And I can tell you, I remember door knocking in 2019 and just the amount of, of people who raised the amount that we were paying on debt servicing costs that could have been invested in schools and hospitals. And I think Albertans know what it was like to have the debt paid in full. And so that is something I think that means uh, a lot to them. Next up, we have Chief Roy Fox. Chief, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You are live. Uh, thank you, uh, thank you, uh, Premier and Ministers, for uh, including us in this um, important uh, conversation. Uh, and thank you for including uh, uh, First Nations people in Budget 23. Uh, one of the important matters uh, that we've always uh, discussed uh, was uh, the matter of um, resource revenue sharing with the First Nations people in Alberta. And I'm in Calgary now. I've just come from an important conference uh, uh, whereby uh, First Nations leaders and leaders of the energy sector have uh, agreed unanimously on uh, a meeting uh, that should take place between uh, yourselves uh, uh, Premier and your uh, members of your cabinet and First Nations people, so that we can begin some uh, some discussions on how we may uh, want to uh, deal with uh, resource revenue sharing. 
and and the impact that that would make on uh, economic reconciliation. Thank you. Chief, thanks so much for calling in, and it was a pleasure meeting with you the other week as well. I must tell you, it is the, it's the number one issue that Chiefs raised with me is the issue of how can we get more own source revenues flowing on to nations. And I'll tell you a couple of things that, that I've heard. I think I was at the same conference as you with the National Coalition of Chiefs. Maybe it was another. But the, um, I, I was, I was, I've been told that in Australia it's become fairly standard for uh, essentially 1% of resource revenues to be shared with the, the band that is impacted. And so that's, that's a model I've heard about that is working in Australia. I've also heard British Columbia is looking at something similar. The approach we've taken here has been to have the Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation, which has, has really underwritten and helped with loan guarantees on some, some major landmark deals. I think, I think the one that was, has really become a model is the one on the Athabasca pipelines that give an 11.65% stake to 23 different Indigenous um, uh, nations who are going to now have a long-term revenue stream coming from that. And, and we would love to partner um, on more of those types of projects. We also, I think, have, uh, have done a good job of partnering on, um, on casinos and gambling revenues. So I think that's another example, perhaps, to build on. But what we're also in the process of now is finding ways that we can help build capacity on First Nations. We've got the uh, agreement with the Enoch First Nation for them to have a chartered surgical center so that there can be hips and knees that are, are done to increase our surgical capacity. We are talking with the Blood Reserve about building a recovery community down there in partnership, and it, we may be able to have an opportunity to partner with more nations on that. We signed in this, uh, we're, we're in the process of, of, of signing uh, deals with First Nations in, to assist in the transfer of children's services files and help to maintain capacity there. Uh, and so I feel like our relationship has, has multiple levels to it, that uh, economic reconciliation in any way that we can help to facilitate partnerships, help underwrite those deals, um, have a conversation about sharing revenue, have a conversation about how we can build capacity. I, th I think we're, we're entering into a, a really historic time in our relationship as a true partnership. And so I'm looking forward to continuing that. So thanks for calling in, Chief. Thank you very much. Next, we have Kevin. Kevin's from Calgary, and you are live. Party commercial, pardon me, on the radio the other week, uh, talking about under the NDP leadership, they raised our taxes like 29 or more times. Did when the Conservatives came back into power, did those tax increases the NDP had put in ever get repealed and removed? And if not, why? I was going to, to uh, maybe provide some clarity. It was 97 times that they increased taxes. There were 79 increases to fees and fines in budget 2015, 16, and 18. Increased to liquor markups, increased to insurance premium tax, increased to the tobacco tax, increased to the locomotive fuel tax. There was an increase, the brand new tax of the, uh, uh, the carbon tax that came in, uh, increases to the carbon levies, I think I've got five of them noted here, an increase to the uh, corporate income tax, that, they increased that to 12%, and then eight increases to the personal income tax over two years. So 
that all in all, there was $1.3 billion worth of increases to personal and corporate income tax. And one of the first things that uh, this government did upon being, election, uh, being elected was to reduce the corporate tax because we needed to send a message to the community, to the international investment community, that this was a place that was open for business. And it, it worked um, amazingly. We actually, even with a lower rate, we ended up increasing the amount of revenue that has come in. I think we have now an historic high in the amount of corporate income tax revenue. So that's one example. The, the, the problem that we faced, though, is that we were in a situation of having large deficits. And we're just now at the point where we're on the other side of that a couple of years. And so we want to make sure that we're being cautious in, uh, in ensuring that we're not going to decrease taxes faster than, than we can afford to do so. That would be sort of my first answer. I'm sure Minister Taves has more to answer. Not a lot to add there, but and a great question, Kevin. We have certainly reduced taxes and the tax burden over the last four years. Uh, the Premier mentioned we repealed the carbon tax. Of course, the feds have backfilled it, but we made a commitment to Albertans and we repealed it. Uh, we did, of course, reduce our business tax rate from 12 to 8 percent. And um, just further to the Premier's comments, we know that as we create a very competitive business environment, it does attract investment, uh, creates uh, jobs, and ultimately expands fiscal capacity. And to the Premier's point, we are collecting by far and away more corporate tax revenue at an 8% rate than the NDP ever did at 12 you know, it's a matter of creating a bigger pie and keeping taxes low. But, you know, we've done more than that. We've, again, brought in the fuel tax suspension program so Albertans can benefit from an owned resource every time energy prices go high. And this is going to be a program in perpetuity. Albertans uh, will see that fuel tax suspension kick in. And I really believe we will need to take a look at our overall taxation structure and particularly personal taxation structure. There's a sequencing here. Job number one was to deal with our overspending. We were spending $10 billion more than other provinces. That's the first thing we had to deal with. Mission accomplished. We're now aligning with the average of Quebec, BC and Ontario. Now I believe, uh, I would suggest Premier pretty early in the next term, it's probably worthwhile to take a look at our personal tax structure because the NDP jacked up personal taxes and we here in this government with the United Conservative Party believe in low taxation. We'd love to bring in lower tax rates. Thank you very much. Just a reminder, star three will get you in the queue to ask your question. The next question is from Cheryl. This is an online question. The budget provided funds for in Alberta adoptions. Thrilled to see this. Can you share more about this? And uh, I'm, I'm happy to maybe uh, take a go at it unless... One of the things that I know for sure is that we wanted to provide an equivalent tax credit to what they have at the federal level. Um, I think it, you, it's extraordinarily expensive to do, uh, to do private adoptions. I, I think um, it, can, it can cost tens of thousands of dollars. And so the federal government allows for a family wanting to adopt a child to, I think, right off somewhere in the order of about $18,500 in expenses. And we wanted to make sure that we matched that so that, that there was an equivalent tax break at the provincial level. I think there's more we can do. Cyril Turton, uh, our MLA, who, uh, who really feels passionately about adoption, he had a private member's bill that gave that direction to, help, to do more so that we can support adoptive families. And, and so that's one of our first steps. I'm looking forward to doing more. Did you have more you wanted to add, Minister? 
Yeah, just to also say that this also includes, in the $12 million more over three years, um, it includes extending supplementary health benefits for children. Um, you, this is something I heard a lot in my former role in children's services that was really important for uh, adoptive parents and $6,000 in grant funding for prospective parents. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, that's something that's close to my heart personally as well. Uh, so thank you for asking that question, Cheryl. The next question is live from Stephen. Stephen in Calgary, go ahead. Danielle, uh, thank you very much for everything you're doing and, and the rest of your team. It's uh, I'm really happy. It's a breath of fresh air that you actually got into um, into politics again and that you're leading the province. So congratulations on that and thank you. And I, I guess my question is around um, our family. Or I received a text message from a NDP um, canvasser looking for my vote, um, and the question is around um, Albertans paying for the, to see their own family doctor. I, and I challenged the the, um, the volunteer, and then they came back to say that it's Daniel Smith's goal to have people pay for their own health care. And so we've had a lot of discussion around the family um, with our adult children in the house and a lot of their friends uh, about this because they're getting very similar messages. And just wanted to get... Um, your thoughts on that, please. Well, first of all, uh, thanks so much for your comments, Stephen. First of all, it's not allowed under the Canada Health Act. The Canada Health Act says that if you want to get federal funding, and we get substan a substantial amount of federal funding now, that you cannot charge people out of pocket for hospital services or for doctor services. So we've committed that we're going to honor the principles of the Canada Health Act. The context of my comments was that the only time I had a health spending account was when I was in politics last time. Um, there's $950 that every politician gets a, in a health spending account to pay for all the things that aren't covered by health care. And that is paralleled in our public service. And at the higher echelons of energy companies, they've got health spending accounts too. And so I've been scratching my head thinking, well, if it's, if it's good enough for taxpayers to pay for this, for politicians and for the civil service, why aren't we allowing taxpayers to have a similar type of, of account? And if you think about all the things that you have to pay out of pocket for, uh, dentistry, chiropractic, physiotherapy, nutritionist, dental, uh, uh, dental work, um, if you're looking at uh, uh, psychologists, therapists, there's medical equipment, it goes on and on and on. What I felt is, could we maybe start by putting a little bit of money into a health spending account so that people can start paying for those things, giving, giving them a little bit of help to pay for all of those things that are on the prevention side. That was the context that I was talking about. Right now you're paying 100% out of pocket. If we can develop a health spending account so we can put a little bit of money there, that you can put some money in tax-free, your employer can put some money in tax-free, that'll just increase your capacity to, to take care of your own health care. And as I said, if, it's, you know, if, if politicians have that, I think it's incumbent upon us to figure out a way that we can get the same kind of benefit to all Albertans. We, um, we've started the scoping out of that project with Minister Glubish. He's our technology and innovation specialist, and so that's the ministry that he leads. And so we'll have more to say about it um, over the course of the next year as he ends up developing out that program. But, that, but that's what I meant when I talked about empowering people to use more of, their, of, of that, those kind of dollars to be able to pay for the preventative care. Thank you very much. Now, uh, Adam. Adam was online, so I'll read his question for him here. How are you helping people who are struggling on the streets? 
This is one of the biggest success stories of this government. Um, when Premier Kenny came in, he recruited Marshall Smith to come in and be a chief of staff in our first ministry of mental health and addictions. And Marshall Smith is now my chief of staff, and so he's helping to lead the, an effort. It's a four-year, we're four years into an eight-year plan. And the approach we're taking in Alberta, and we call it the, the, the Alberta model, is to not give up on people. We believe that every single person should have an, uh, an opportunity to access care and to be re- able to receive treatment for addiction. Um, under the NDP, they were charging $40 a day for access to publicly funded uh, addiction treatment beds. We got rid of that user fee. And we now allow, and we've also expanded it out. I think by the time our expansion is over, we'll be able to, to treat 10,000 patients a year for, for, uh, for addiction. The, the model that we're using in Red Deer, and that's the one to keep a close eye on because it's the first one, we've got a 75-bed facility. On one side is the men's, and there's 50 beds there. On the other side, it's the women's, and there's 25 beds there. And it's a, a combination of building capacity for people and also running them through therapy. So the, 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 the cohort that does the morning therapy does chores in the afternoon, and the folks that do chores in the morning do therapy in the afternoon. They're going to learn how to cook. They're going to learn how to take care of themselves. They're going to learn how to do basic um, repairs are going to have a community garden, um, maybe also have some other types of jobs on site. And whether it takes a month or six months or a year, we're going to get people well so that they can get their agency back and they can go back to being productive citizens. The, the, the group that we have who's managing our facility in Red Deer, they have had a 77 to 85% success rate in people going through their program and getting clean. And that's why we know this is going to work. So that's one part of it. Um, The other side of it, though, is we can't have any tolerance for public disorder any longer. In Calgary and Edmonton, it is is making um, um, a dangerous place of our public spaces. And so we want to have the compassionate side where we're supporting people to get them the treatment that we need. But we also need to make sure that we've got a presence of law enforcement. That's why we've got our sheriffs coming into Calgary and Edmonton, is to to give people that, that pathway into, into getting into those programs. You know, if you talk to Marshall, and Marshall's an expert on this because he, he was uh, living on the streets as an addict in Vancouver for four and a half years. He's been 17 years clean. But it was an officer who said to him, You've got, you're either going away to jail for a very long time or you're going into treatment. So he said, okay, I'll opt for treatment. And then after 35 days, he was well on his path to recovery. And so that's why he feels so passionately about it is that he's been there and he knows that, um, that there's a lot of people who can be mentors to others coming through. So that's the approach that we're taking and we're really optimistic that it's going to work. We're getting attention from all over the world on this. I was just speaking at the recovery conference last week with 1,300 people in the room and I, I suspect they're going to have double that amount next year and people are coming here and they're they're taking note and they want to be able to take that same approach back home that was excellent it's excellent work and it's something that i'm certainly hearing on doorsteps as i talk to people in calgary so thank you for that next up we have john john you are live hello there smitty how are you well i'm good johnny how are you i'm doing absolutely correct two things I'm very happy to see a common sense budget in the world, apparently, of political correctness, particularly in the area of cutting red tape at the social, at the at, at the uh, uh, employees of the provincial government who seem to be stifling more 
give more problems to people trying to get economic uh, uh, benefits in the province. The other thing is that I, my my grandfather was Lem Sexsmith, who happened to have built your house that your mother lives in in High River, and it's a large uh, picture which I'm very I'd be very pleased to give it to you and your mother uh, for, for your archives. The the other thing is that I believe that you people have got to do something more to protect the police in their daily. Uh, uh, policing of, of the population away from some of these people who are trying to cut them down. And there's my question. And thank you very much, Smitty. Well, thanks for that, John. And I, I have to say that was our house. My husband and I lived in the Sex Smith house. We, we ended up uh, selling it to a wonderful Toronto family uh, who I think are going to do a great job of, in, of keeping it in its, in its uh, traditional glory because it's a 1903 home. And so uh, I was very pleased to to be able to to take care of it for ten years as I did. The um, when it comes to the pre- protecting the police, you're right. I mean, there there was a period of time I think where uh, there was a defund the police movement. I think it demoralized our men and women in uniform, and we're trying to to restore that confidence and pride in our frontline officers. And that was part of the reason why we feel so strongly about investing in sheriffs. There's there's only a couple of areas that Minister Taves allowed to go over that four percent increase year over year for for inflation. And one of them was in public safety. I think they've gone up 13%. So that shows you how much we want to make sure that we're investing in being able to not only build out our sheriffs, but also help municipalities shore up their municipal forces. So I'm with you on that one. And then when it comes to cutting red tape, I'll just say that uh, Minister Dale Nally, he's our Service Alberta and Red Tape Reduction Minister, and it's very funny, whenever anybody brings forward a new policy, he'll always pipe up and say, no, Minister, how is that going to affect your red tape count? And so he's keeping track of all of that. The next big project that we want to work on together, because we just went and got an A- minus from CFIB for our red tape reduction. So, so we're doing the best in the country. But we can do more. And the, the area that we want to focus in on is the length of time it takes to get permits approved. That is one of the big issues that I've been hearing. And it's at the municipal level, so Minister of Municipal Affairs may want to weigh in on this. But we've got our own problems as well. I've heard of... Uh, of it taking in some communities seven years to get permits approved for transportation projects to be able to be developed so that you can turn into a property. I've heard sand and gravel has long permitting uh, processes associated with it. Sometimes environmental appeals take 14 years. And I think we can do better than that. When, When I was asking uh, people about the approach we should take. They said, well, why not do it like Saskatchewan? They've kind of got a six-week rule that if you, um, if you are going to say no, you have to say no within six weeks. Otherwise, the answer is yes. And let's just get on with business. So I think we have to develop a little bit more of that can-do attitude. We've got to do our part at the provincial level. I think we have to work with our municipal counterparts to make sure that they're doing the same thing. I'll, I'll turn it over to Minister Schultz to comment on that. Yeah, Premier, you're absolutely right. And I I would say municipalities across the province have been doing a number of things to reduce red tape. Uh, And there are some good examples. They'll have a report coming out right away on on some of the things that different communities are doing across the province. But um, this is something I've raised. I've I've spoken with the rural municipalities about this and Alberta municipalities uh, to come up with some ways that we can actually measure that because it continues to be something that we hear from businesses that sometimes it's the permitting times and and the wait times. And, you know, if those are things that if it's if it's our government or different ministries within government that are the delay, uh, those are things that we look into as well. 
Now our next question is live. It is Lorne from Calgary. Lorne, go ahead. Hi, folks. I'm a bit of a numbers and money guy, and I was wondering what the exact numbers are that you're going to be putting towards the provincial debt and towards the Heritage Trust Fund. And also, I'm wondering why we don't report how much interest, uh, the percentage of interest that we're paying to the creditors, such as it sounds like your earlier comment, we were paying up to 3% uh, for our provincial debt. And I was wondering, what, what is our current, with the, the better credit rating that you were talking about earlier, what is our current uh, interest rate that we pay for our, our, for our provincial debt? Thanks. Well, I see that um, the Minister of Finance is looking in the fiscal plan um, because there is different debt that matures at different times because we've got it over different lengths of time. So maybe that's why it's a little bit tricky to give you a single number, but I think he's managed to find the page he's looking for there. So great, great questions. And firstly, just, uh, just to mention again that in 22-23, uh, the current fiscal year we're in, <clears throat> we paid off uh, all of the debt that matured, and that was over uh, $13 billion worth. And the debt savings uh, as a result of that pay down, the debt service cost savings are $260 million this year and $550 million next year and in perpetuity. Uh, in terms of cost of capital, uh, that cost varies. It depends whether we're borrowing short-term or, or real short-term borrowings can be uh, at 50 basis points, half a percentage point. And long-term, um, you know, bond issues, you know, 10 uh, and 30-year bond issues uh, were up in, uh, in that neighborhood of 3% right now. And again, that number is always variable. But the fact that we've seen, uh, received a second credit upgrade uh, will ult ultimately brings down our cost of capital. Right now, Alberta's borrowing at a cheaper rate than Ontario, and, and uh, that's good news. That means that uh, we're getting a better deal because uh, I would suggest we're bringing much more responsible fiscal management. In terms of uh, the debt maturing during future years, it's quite variable. It ranges from about $3 billion all the way up to $13 billion over the next five years. So it, it's quite variable. You know, our goal would be to prioritize debt repayment. And that's one reason why we're bringing in a fiscal framework, which will effectively provide guidelines and structure around surplus management. Uh, what in, in our fiscal framework, at least half of any surplus has to go to debt reduction uh, in the year the surplus is achieved. And that's debt reduction of debt that's maturing in the year. It makes no sense to pay off debt that's not maturing. There's very often a penalty related to that. And uh, right now, the debt that we do have was placed at, at quite low interest rates. But uh, we can and will and should make debt uh, repayment a priority. We are. These fiscal rules support that priority. And for every dollar we pay down, we save Albertans' debt service costs. Thank you very much. Next up, we have George from Calgary. Go ahead, George. Oh, okay, I'm not sure if we still have George on the line. So we will move to our next caller. And this is Millicent from Okotoks. Go ahead, you're live. Yes, good evening. I, my question pertains to the proposed Alberta Fund. I believe it's not in existence yet. Um, 
I'm not sure about that, but I wonder why one is proposed and with such a large amount of money being set aside into that fund if it does materialize. And who controls it? Um, and why is it necessary when there is such a large amount of money available otherwise to the, the Premier and caucus? That's a great question. I appreciate you asking that question. I think many Albertans are quite interested in the concept of an Alberta fund. And let me start by saying the Alberta Fund is effectively going to be a bank account that will have parameters and structure around it. It will ensure that uh, the, any funds in, in the Alberta Fund are used in accordance with the rules around that fund. It's effectively a holding account. When the province produces a surplus, I just mentioned the rules around the use of surplus, at least 50% of a surplus needs to be applied to debt that's maturing in the year the surplus is achieved. Now, more could be applied to that debt, but at least 50% has to be applied to debt. Whatever's not applied to debt, uh, those funds go into the Alberta Fund. And the Alberta Fund, again, is a holding fund, and there are three uses for funds from the Alberta Fund. Number one, cash can be held for future debt repayment. The second prescribed use is that funds can be used, transferred to the Alberta Heritage Trust Fund. So we can use funds from the Alberta Fund to pay down debt or to invest in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund for savings. The third available use for those funds would be to use, um, use the funds for one-time non-reoccurring uh, expenditures that relate to strategic government priorities. In other words, the priorities of Albertans. Now, I, I want to make a couple of comments around that use, because any project, whether it be capital in nature or perhaps a one-time operating uh, initiative, any project has to be subject to the budget process. Any project has to be subject to an appropriations bill that's debated in the legislature and ultimately passed. So it will have full scrutiny of all the rigors of a full budget process. So effectively, the Alberta Fund simply provides discipline and transparency and ultimately will result in more responsible fiscal management for our surpluses, which we do anticipate uh, to have over the next few years. Yeah, and Millicent, just to, to go on that, part of it is that we're now developing surpluses, so we need a place to have them parked until we decide what we're going to do with them. So if you look at uh, the strategy that we had this year, the, the lion's share of the surplus went to debt repayment, but the minister also announced $2 billion going to the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. And the one-time payments that we had were all those affordability payments that we had to, to deliver to make sure that we were defraying the cost of inflation for families. So that's, in practice, if that fund had existed last year, that's the sort of approach that we would have taken. And so I, I think the, the, the uh, Minister Taves, as we look forward and we start seeing that we're now entering an era where we may have ongoing surpluses, we need to have a 
short-term bank account to park them in until we, we see what at the year end, just how significant those amounts are going to be so that we can figure out the best way to allocate them. That's the purpose of it. You know, and, and Premier, thank you for that. I, I should also uh, add around the Heritage Savings Trust Fund, part of our uh, responsible fiscal approach is to ensure that earnings of that Heritage Savings Trust Fund remain in the fund. Um, I, I'm not sure if, how many Albertans know this, but over the past multiple, uh, actually number of years, even, even into the decades, earnings from the fund that weren't required to ensure the fund for inflation, protect the fund from inflation, those, the remaining earnings were always transferred to the general revenue fund. We're bringing legislation into the House next week that if passed, will categorically ensure that, the, that any earnings are retained in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. And I want to share a, an extremely um, awesome data point with all our listeners tonight. If all of the earnings of the Heritage Savings Trust Fund from its inception were retained in that fund without any additional deposits other than those deposits that were made, instead of an $18 billion uh, amount in our Heritage Savings Trust Fund, we would have a balance that's approaching $300 billion. A balance like that would generate close to $20 billion a year of investment earnings for Albertans. And so while we all wish we would have started that sooner, you know, the best date uh, to start is today. And we're starting that with Budget 23. Thank you very much. Great question. Next up, we have Julie. Julie's also from Calgary. And go ahead, you're live. Okay, I think Julie may have left the call, but her, her question is a good one, and so I will read it out here. Uh, most projects are funded for three years. Can we still afford them if resource royalties decline? The, um, the way our budget, uh, our budget, balanced budget law works is that we, we anticipate that we're going to see increases in our revenue year over year. Because when you have a growing economy, you get more personal income tax revenue, you get more revenue from all other sources. But it does also say that if we have an extraordinary decline in revenues in a given year, which has been known to happen, that we have the ability to, to take a, a, a different approach. We, we want to provide some stability and security to those who are in the industry of, of infrastructure and transportation because it actually costs more money. If you, if, you, if you are all over the map, one you're going high, one you're going low, it actually creates a lot more instability in making sure that we're having the construction capacity when it's needed. So I can, I'll turn it back over to, to Minister Taves, but one of the things that I noticed in the, we have a long-term projection of how much we spend on various areas going back, I think in this budget to, to 2008, what I've noticed is we've stayed pretty stable in our capital plan between six to $8 billion every year. And I think that goes to the issue that once you start a project, you do have to do what you can to be able to prioritize that. So I'll turn it over to, to Minister Taves to, to give you his thoughts, because he had to go through a pretty wild time over the past four years in having to deal with a dramatic decline. And I'll, 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 uh, I'll tell you, but, and he can tell you what he learned from on, on how to manage the capital side. Well, the Premier makes a very good point. Stability and uh, predictability, some continuity in, in government's capital plan is important. It results in 
uh, ensuring that we have capacity in the province to actually complete our work. For contractors, whether it's road builders or um, construction companies, who do a fair, bit of, um, a fair bit of government work, it's important that they know there's going to be a project next year. It's important that they know they can maintain their capacity for upcoming work. And that's critical because if the province is going to get good value for money, we need to ensure that the capacity is there to build roads, to build schools, to build hospitals. And so consistency in a capital plan is vital. Now, I, I understand the point, Julie. The concern is that, you know, we've got a capital plan. It's a multi-year capital plan. Projects take a number of years, many years to complete if it's a hospital. And we can't be certain about uh, revenues in the future. Look, that's why responsible fiscal management matters. That's why running surplus budgets in all but our most difficult years is what we need to deliver for Albertans. So we have the fiscal room to deal with those one-off years where there is a shock, a major revenue decline. Within our fiscal rules that require a balanced budget, we do have two notable exceptions. One exception is if revenues drop by more than a billion dollars from the year previous, a deficit is allowed. And that's a necessary exception because we do have volatile revenue in this province as a result of our, our royalty income. The other exception is this. If disaster and emergencies uh, create an expense requirement beyond the contingency that we set up in the budget, that constitutes an acceptable exception to run a deficit. Necessary. We can't predict when we're going to get a province-wide drought and we have to pay through the crop insurance program farmers who have in a good faith way paid their premiums. The same could be said about fires and floods. I, I believe in these rules we have requisite exceptions that will ensure that governments can respond appropriately and at the same time bring responsible fiscal management. Thank you very much. Now our next question is from Brenda, and this one uh, is one she typed in online, so I will read it out loud. Brenda's concerned about the rising costs of power and heat. Is there a way to cap those bills? Why are there so many fees? Oh boy, this is uh, an area for Matt Jones to really dig into. He's our affordability and utilities minister. Um, he, he, he noticed, look, first thing on the job, that we had to make sure that we brought some stability to electricity prices. There's a regulated rate option, and that's sort of the default rate if you haven't signed a contract, that was going to go up to 29 cents a kilowatt hour. And I think most of us historically have been used to paying more around five cents. So we knew that there's something that's quite broken in the way the system's working. So we've begun talking with the electricity companies about how we can bring some price stability on that side of it. But you're very right as well, Brenda, to point out that the lion's share of the bill is now all those extra line items, the municipal franchise fees and the distribution charges and the rate riders and the transmission charges. Um, in, uh, in most jurisdictions, that only comprises one-third of the, of the bill. In our jurisdictions, it's more, it's more like two-thirds. So there, there's a real problem in how that is, is levied on each bill, and that is the next big challenge for, um, for Minister Jones, is to, is to figure out how we can work with the companies that build out our transmission, build out our distribution, make sure we're not overbuilding. If we build it, and can we amortize it over a longer period of time so that we can reduce the payments? If we overbuilt, 
Is there some way that we can take it out of the existing uh, rate pool so that it reduces costs? Those are those the kind of active discussions that we're having, and we've got to have it on the natural gas side as well, because I think you're seeing the, the same kind of problem there. But Alberta should be a place where low power costs and low heating costs are part of our competitive advantage. That the, If we can offer that, because we have so much natural gas here, we should be able to provide that long-term price stability. And that's a part of the reason why I put together a council on securing Alberta's energy future, is I wanted to figure out a way that we could not only look after our energy future in doing more LNG export, doing more bitumen development, doing more conventional oil and gas development, but is there also a way that, that we can provide some more price stability because we're a natural gas basin so that we can have those, those long-term uh, redu- reductions in prices on, on those important inputs, not only for business but also for homeowners. So that's a very active discussion, and I think Matt Jones is going to come up with some good policies on that. Minister Chavis, did you have something to add there? You, you know, I'll, I'll just add... I think some important facts that Albertans need to consider right now around uh, the cost of electricity in this province. There's no doubt that costs have risen in part because much of our electricity is generated from natural gas um, generation and gas prices have gone up, although they've come down and so we're looking forward to some relief there. But I think it's important to know that um, our high transmission costs are due to a transmission infrastructure overbuild by previous governments. And uh, now I I recognize it's difficult to um, know with certainty what we're going to need for infrastructure in the future. It's easy to look back and say we shouldn't have built that. I get it. But one thing we as a government have to do and future governments have to do is be very mindful of not overbuilding that transmission system because they're real costs and ultimately either consumers or taxpayers pay for it. And right now consumers are paying for it. But there's another one. You know, the previous government, the NDP government, I would suggest prematurely forced the transition from coal-fired electricity to gas. That cost Alberta consumers directly in the payout of some power purchase agreements. It cost Alberta consumers $1.3 billion, and we're paying for that on every bill right now. It's important that Alberta consumers understand that. And the other thing, right now, if we were still generating electricity uh, with coal in the province, again, uh, certainly transitioning in time, but transitioning at an appropriate time frame, we would have much lower electricity rates in this province. That's our reality. We need to think about affordability, and we need to think about households and business competitiveness. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Tafe. Now, our next call is from Ken. Ken is live on the phone right now. Go ahead. Hello, am I on? You are live, Ken. Go ahead. Oh, okay, I thought I heard my name. Okay, my question is uh, twofold, I guess, but uh, they're related. Um, are there any concrete plans for building a pipeline to northern Manitoba? I think it was Churchill. Um, where do we stand as far as getting the oil industry up and running full tilt again? 
Thanks for the, the question, Ken. One of the things that I, I did when I, I uh, put Devin Dreeshen in, in cabinet as transportation minister is I, I, it gave him the responsibility for economic corridors as well, because I think that's the way we need to be thinking about building out our economy is that if we can develop an economic corridor that's wide enough to include new roads as well as uh, new rail lines, transmission lines for electricity, broadband, internet access, as well as pipelines. I think that that changes the discussion. And so one of the first uh, conversations I had with Premier Scott Moe and Premier Heather Stephenson was, it, would there be an appetite for us to work together with our First Nations to develop a corridor that would go from Fort McMurray all the way to Churchill? I've since heard of a, an alternative proposal uh, that we might be able to bring a pipeline up from the existing pipeline for TransCanada's network in Ontario, 300 miles, and take it up to James Bay. And that might be another option. There is also... I think uh, even though uh, BC Premier David Eby, uh, he, he, when he got elected, they have a, an emission, a legislative emissions cap in British Columbia. So for them to do more LNG export, they have to find a way to reduce emissions. But we can help with that because we can do carbon capture. We can assist them in decarbonizing the, um, uh, by, by sending us some more uh, electricity from hydro and reducing our total emissions. We can work together on getting credit if we do LNG export to Japan. Can, we can get joint credit for reducing emissions globally. And so I think that we're going to be able to have a, a good conversation with BC, good conversation with our friends in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, another conversation in Ontario, and also Yukon. Yukon is very interested. There was a proposal years ago for an Alberta to Alaska rail line. Unfortunately, it didn't end up uh, going through, but they, it got the, everybody excited in the Yukon about how we might be able to partner on building an economic corridor to, to get to the coast that way as well. So I can tell you all those conversations are happening. I think what has happened is we now realize in Western Canada we've got to work with our partners to try to find and forge ahead on some of these pathways and work with First Nations to take the lead on developing those routes. And then we and then the, Ottawa becomes the, the the last part of the conversation. We've we've been relying too much for Ottawa to be the first part of the conversation, and they keep on saying no. So we're going to do it another way. We're going to try to get the consensus and then work together on on building with the the coalition of the willing. So I'm feeling pretty optimistic about it because everybody's talking along the same uh, along the same lines. Excellent. Our next question is from Bob in Calgary, and this one came in online. His question is, how long will it take to pay down the debt? Bob, that's a great question. And ultimately, we're going to, we would have to know exactly what kind of surpluses we would be generating into the future. But what I can say is it will take some time to pay down the debt. Uh, at this point in time, uh, we've this last year. I've mentioned a few times uh, here on the call tonight that we last year we paid down 13.4 billion dollars of debt. We kind of topped out at 93 billion dollars of taxpayer-supported debt uh, at the end of 21-22. Uh, we've since brought that debt down to 79 billion dollars, and we expect it to drop uh, to about 78 billion dollars next year. If we take a look at our debt maturities, most, the vast majority of our debt matures by about 2030, 2031. So look, if we really see high energy prices, which is a possibility over the next number of years, 
there's a very good chance that if we remain disciplined, if we remain focused on delivering efficient government and respecting taxpayers, that we could have the lion's share of this debt paid down by 2030-2031. Let me just uh, add on to that, because one of the things that I like so much about what Minister Taves did in this budget is that he did give conservative estimates for what we may have for the price of oil, price of Western Canada Select, and the price of natural gas. And uh, it has surpassed those numbers in uh, in the most recent year. And so, but we want to make sure that we're we're budgeting at a level that is conservative, so that if there is a an unexpected additional surplus, that then we have a surplus management strategy around that. So that would be one thing. The other thing, and I wonder if Minister Taze can speak to this as well, is that there were many of our oil sands projects that ended up uh, getting to pay out on their low royalty rate. We have a royalty structure that allows them to pay a 1% royalty until their capital is paid off, and then it pops up to 25 to, to 40%. And so that's part of the reason why that is fundamentally shifted the amount of revenues we can expect from the energy sector. Thirdly, we are very close to seeing the Trans Mountain Pipeline be completed, and I believe that's going to bring an additional 800,000 uh, barrels per day online. I might be, if, I, if I'm wrong on that, I know the minister will correct me, but that additional production will bring in new revenues, maybe in the order of one to two billion dollars. And by having that pipeline to the coast, and once you put oil in a tanker, it can go anywhere around the world. Now you can get the, the highest prices for it. That will reduce the discount that we have on our Canadian Western, our Western Canadian Select. And that may also generate another $1 or $2 billion of additional revenue. On top of that, if we can get some of these deals with British Columbia or Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario to do more LNG export, that's also going to allow us to get world prices on it, but in addition, increase the production. So um, as I say, this is a very, very conservative budget, because if you layer on all of those additional things that I've just talked about, that, that's going to allow for us to get additional surplus revenues. And because we've got this surplus management strategy in place, just pay off the debt that much faster. Did you want anything, add anything, Minister? Premier, I think you've covered that well, but uh, you really make an important point. We've had a number of oil sands projects here in the last 18 months move from uh, pre-payout to post-payout. And when, when a project moves there, the royalty structure changes entirely. Uh, prior to payout, um, an oil sands producer will pay between 1% and uh, 8% effectively on, on their gross revenues, depending on the, the price of oil. But um, when they move to post-payout, they'll pay the greater of uh, 1 to 8% of gross revenue or 25 to 40% of their um, income, net income. And here's the other important piece. When a project moves to post-payout, it never comes back. And so that royalty structure changes forever. And that's why, that's one reason why you see greater royalty revenue projections into the future. We're seeing a structural change. Now, the other thing this does, it also creates additional sensitivity around um, revenue projections related to small fluctuations in the price of energy. That's why uh, we need to continue to be fiscally responsible because we can't control the price of WTI but we can manage our finances responsibly and take full advantage during years when we, when we have high energy prices. The Premier noted that we've taken you know, very prudent estimates uh, in terms of our energy price assumptions, 
The estimates that, well, the assumptions we've made that inform our revenue projections are between five and seven dollars lower than private sector estimates on average. We think that's important. We think it's important to be to be conservative, to be prudential. Now, I think we have time for a couple more questions uh, before we head to closing remarks. So, first up, we have Carol. This came in online. The question is: Would Alberta consider providing oil dividends to residents like it is done in Alaska? You know, I almost piped in when uh, Minister Taves was talking about the dream of what if we had $300 billion right now in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund, and it was generating $20 billion a year in annual investment income, that would allow us to totally eliminate personal income tax. Like that, that to me is a, is a vision that we should be striving for. And I, I, know, I know that there are pressure points, and I know people are saying, well, what's, what's the point of saving or what's the point of putting aside money to pay down debt? That's the point, is because if we can just show a little discipline now, you can imagine 20 or 30 years from now that we'd be able to create a legacy for our kids and grandkids where we could not only have no sales tax, but also have no income tax. So I, I think that that's something that's, that's worth striving for, and I'm glad that we've got, gotten started in this budget. So the answer to that is yes. If we, if we maintain the, the fiscal framework that the minister has put in this budget, that we end up re- realizing more surpluses because of the prudent budgeting, then not only can we be debt-free, but I think we can have a substantial savings account so that in future, the Albertans will be able to get the dividends from them. Excellent. Thank you very much. Now we're going to Ed. Ed's from Bentley, and you are live. Hi, good evening. I, I must want to say first off that I really appreciate this opportunity that you've given to us, Danielle, and it's the uh, first time I've ever been able to participate. Um, my question is a little bit out of the box, I guess. I'm not that educated on, on tax systems and things, but my, my question is around uh, federal income tax. Is it possible for the provincial government to be able to collect the Alberta uh, population's federal income tax and then distribute it to Ottawa instead of them taking our dollars and telling us what we can have back? Oh, I don't know if it is, but I sure want to give it a try. I know that that Quebec has proposed that in the past, that they want to be able to collect all the taxes and then just remit to Ottawa the their share of federal programs. And I think, you know, I'm of the mind that we ought to position ourselves to be in that same in that same position, that if, if Quebec ever does get that special deal, we want to be able to say, you know what, us too, because I think that we have demonstrated that we can deliver on, on programs much better, more efficiently, with, with better um, sort of conservative restraints than the federal government. So I would like to have us have that conversation move in that direction. At the moment, though, if we wanted to collect our own personal income taxes, it would just be on our own our own side, we, um, and the federal government would continue collecting there. So there, there would be two tax forms, and that would be something we'd have to consult with Albertans if they have a problem with that. But I think that, that, that what, you're, what you're proposing there is, is exactly where we, it would be it'd beneficial for us, beneficial for Quebec if they moved in that direction. So we, we, should, we should keep talking about it. Now, I think we have about three minutes left, and I'd just like to ask each of you for some closing remarks. We'll start with Minister Taves. Uh, just to close us off on what, you know, I'll tell you this, I am exceptionally proud of this budget. I am proud of the work that was done by yourself and our team. Uh, second balanced budget, investments in healthcare, education, affordability, and things that are top of mind for Albertans. And so just thank you for your great work. Well, thank you, Minister. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure tonight to, uh, to, to listen to our callers, to 
have a conversation with so many great Albertans. You know, prior to the budget, I held a couple of town halls, and, and I had, had town halls that engaged about 25,000 Albertans, and so many of you had such great ideas. What I heard from you was the importance of continued fiscal responsibility, the importance of paying down debt, the importance of low taxes, the importance of uh, ensuring that Albertans had good job opportunities and economic opportunities in the province. We also heard that uh, concerns around health care. We heard uh, concerns that there was capacity issues, capacity challenges in this province. And I want to say, we haven't talked a lot about it tonight, but I want to say that uh, Budget 23 uh, really goes a distance in addressing those capacity issues. This budget will fund an additional 2,000 seats for nurses, um, LPNs, and healthcare aides. Again, healthcare professionals that are so needed in our system. But this budget also funds an additional 120 seats in our schools of medicine, both, both in Calgary and Edmonton, to train more physicians. Right now, our schools of medicine have far more applicants than the positions they have available. This will increase the training spaces by almost 40%. Friends, this budget goes some distance to improving the capacity equation around our physicians and nurses. And we heard that from that concern from you in our pre-budget consultation. This budget, of course, also continues to provide relief to Alberta households, and Alberta businesses with respect to the challenges of inflation and affordability, and it, and it makes key and strategic investments in public safety, as well as expanding our justice system capacity and capability. All of that is, um, all of that is done under the umbrella of responsible fiscal management, ensuring that we're not encumbering the next generation with a debt they did not incur. So it's been a pleasure uh, just engaging with you tonight, it's been a pleasure joining the Premier and Minister Schultz in this conversation. Thanks for that, Minister Taves. One of the things that I, I love so much about this budget is when I think back about why I'm conservative, it's some of the great iconic leaders that we have had in this province, like Peter Lougheed, who stood up for our right to develop our resources. And because of the incredible resource wealth he was able to help generate, he started putting money aside in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. And so I'm so pleased that we're going to be able to honor his legacy by developing a long-term plan to continue investing in that. Uh, and Ralph Klein, I mean, I got involved in politics when Klein said, you know, darn it, we're going to be debt-free and we're going to do it without raising taxes. And sure enough, we uh, are now back on that path of, of paying down debt. And we are talking about reducing taxes as uh, we start getting a, a bit of a, a, a dividend that comes from having lower and lower finance charges. So I'm so pleased that we're able to, to honor that legacy. And then Ed Stelmack, he, was the, he really realized that we needed to support our municipalities and to invest in infrastructure, that we had an infrastructure deficit. We've got a huge province, and we've got to make sure we're building trans, the transportation network, our roads and our bridges, as well as the, the hospitals and schools that everybody needs. And as we go forward now, I think 
what everybody really embraces is that we, we have a conservative way of delivering on social programs. We know that we can have a whole variety of different providers, in whether it's in healthcare and education or advanced education. We believe in competition and choice and entrepreneurship and innovation and pilot projects. We, we believe in, in inviting entrepreneurs and innovators in to help us develop better ways of doing things. We're applying that same conservative mindset that works so well in the private sector to helping us improve on the, the programs that people care so much about. I, uh, I will just say for those, if you didn't hear me talk about this Alberta model for mental health and addiction, I think that that becomes a model for us to be able to think about how we can really help people in a way that's going to be meaningful, that's uh, going to help them get out of their addiction, help them get back onto productive lives and be able to give them that hand up. When, I, when we talk about compassionate conservatism, it's, it has been a bit of a slogan for a number of years, but I think that what you see in this budget absolutely embodies that, that when you have the fiscal discipline, you have the restraint, you're able to create the capacity to do so much good. And I, I think we've got the, the right balance here, and I, I certainly credit all the hard work that uh, my colleagues, and in particular Minister Taves, has done on that. So thanks for joining us here this evening. We'd still love to have your feedback. Obviously, we've got an election coming up, and so if you've got some more ideas about things you think we might have missed that we need to be thinking about for next budget, we're happy to hear those that feedback too. Thank you very much, Premier. Thank you, Minister Taves. And thank all of you for joining us this evening. I've enjoyed listening into the discussion we've had here tonight. It was so great to hear so many different thoughts and ideas. If you want more information on Budget 2023, simply head to alberta.ca slash budget. Thank you again for being part of this event tonight. Enjoy the rest of your evening.